That's What She Said, Episode 22, Women's Appreciation. Wow, that is really hard. Do you really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go Welcome to episode 22 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 22nd episode of Season 3, entitled Women's Appreciation, which originally aired Thursday, May 3rd, 2007. There's a flasher loose in Scranton, people. That's what we know. And The Office is up in arms. Dwight's hot on the trail of the perv, but as Michael Jackson once told us, you might want to start with the man in the mirror. Ooh. Love on the rocks? Ain't no big surprise. Michael and the ladies of Dunder Mifflin hit them all, and a healthy dose of dish leads them to make a monumental decision. Meanwhile, the guys find out that sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. Creed's Tuesday aside. One final warning. Miss this episode of That's What She Said, and you're looking at a serious disadulation. What's a dis... What's that? Oh, you don't want to know. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler again this week is our senior sales associate, Ian Castleberry. Ian, how you doing? Great, Matt. I uh, appreciate you being cool about me coming in late. <laughs> Any demerit points I'm getting on that? Or? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you get three of those, and you're going to get yourself a verbal warning. And uh, <laughs> 15 of those going to lead you up to a written warning. Oh, uh, that reminds me so much of, I had one job where I was having an issue with tardiness because I had to be at work at 6 a.m. You know, but I mean, I would show up at like 6.02, 6.03, but you know, on the time clock, it looks bad. So, you know, I get reprimanded about it. Well, my question you know, is, that, why on earth do you have to be at Barnes & Noble at 6 a.m.? Got to put the books on the shelves. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I didn't think, you know, I'm not causing anyone to, you know, nobody can't go home because I'm two minutes late, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it didn't seem like a big deal to me, but, like, apparently I, I got this email saying, I get, you know, I have, I'm supposed to meet with the manager and one of the supervisors. I'm like, what's this about? And one of my friends who worked in the back office said, oh, you're getting written up. <laughs> for what? <laughs> oh, for tardiness. Oh, oh great. Man. Welcome to but, I mean, it, I mean it, it took like five whatevers, and then they said, okay, yeah, you're getting written up, and then, you know, you had two more chances. and Yeah, well, so obviously I'm guessing that you could relate to the cold open. Then Most week. definitely. Um, I I thought the cold open was okay. It, it, not as Definitely not anywhere near the one from last week. Now, no. um the thing with that is, I was doing the math. I think, it, according to what Dwight said, I think it takes into like 120 demerits before you actually get written up <laughs> um, and have the report put on the desk of his immediate superior. So <laughs> it's a lot of incidences, man. Uh, I don't know if you have to worry too much about that. And you know, it was it was a funny and realistic scene. Don't get me wrong. A little goofy, I guess, the fact that uh, it does have to go to Jim's desk. 
Yeah, it was, it was interesting in that it was one of the few times we've seen Jim pull rank, you know, it's something we've wondered about ever since he went back to Scranton, you know. But that aside, like I said, that uh, cold open, I thought it was okay. It wasn't great. But I'm going to go on record here, and I'll, I'll start off, because I, I thought this episode this week was awesome. I, I'm usually Mr. Cranky Pants on Thursdays, but even with the Thursday viewing, I was very, very satisfied with this episode. I, I thought the, I, the beginning, from what I can tell, uh, from what I've seen on the blog page and other comments, uh, a lot of people had a lot of problems with the opening, about 10 minutes, uh, saying that it was too, I don't know, vulgar, or too much sex humor, or it wasn't funny. Um, somebody even wrote in an email saying that like they tried to get their mom to watch the show, and she was just <laughs> flabbergasted <laughs> at all the penises being flipped. Oh, that's up. a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's probably not the best episode to get mom and grandma involved in the office, but uh, I don't know, man. I I thought it was hilarious, and I thought that the episode definitely had... A lot of things that I, I could relate to. Michael's plot line was very, you know, he went through a definite arc during those 28 minutes um, mm-hmm. and grew as a person and actually kind of a big deal, some kind of freaky stuff <laughs> that we find out about them. But uh, before I go on for too long, let's throw it on over to you. What did you think this week? Yeah, we had kind of a role reversal this week. I mean, when we were talking on Thursday, I actually didn't like the episode the first time I watched it. I just thought, man, I'm, you know, I... I'm not laughing. This is just painful to watch. And I think what what it was is you mentioned those first ten minutes. I think they're so cringeworthy to begin with. <laughs> and maybe maybe the uh, the shots of uh, all the women in the office with the you know looks of disgust and you know maybe that maybe that's a little more effective when you you know the first time you see them when you know they're coming. Oh man, it wasn't just the powerful. women. It was every <laughs> every well, person true. in yeah. the office, even Andy. Yeah, even Andy. Yeah. <laughs> He knew better than that. I don't know, but you know, that's the thing, like, part of the reason why I really liked it is, for one thing, I don't know, I just, a couple of the lines just struck me as funny. Kevin's response to Michael's question about whether or not he'd seen, uh, has obviously hasn't seen Pam from behind. Uh, Karen from behind. Well, both of them. I I just thought that was, I don't know, for some reason I thought that was hilarious. He's like, oh, I guess not. Um, Yeah, I, um, and, And I'm sorry, I don't care what anyone says, but Michael's, finger through the <laughs> finger through the fly just had me i was just rolling man i don't know i thought that was hilarious as inappropriate as it was obviously and everyone was giving him the evil eye i i don't know i just thought it was hilarious especially when uh when flenderson comes in oh, yeah. and he does the little pew, and it flops yeah. down <laughs> i don't know it's pure i thought that was pure gold but I, obviously a lot of people disagree with me and i think this might be one of the most contentious episodes this season as far as responses go i, I i'm seeing no, a lot of agree, yeah. a lot of people who are usually the big champions uh saying how they love it when i dislike it it's kind of weird to see the audience <laughs> reversed on this thing i don't think we've ever had an episode where there have been so many different interpretations of certain things yeah. You know, like, you know, what did that look mean? Or what was that person trying to say? Like, you know, the, the exchange with, between uh, Ryan and Jim in the bathroom or the right. various looks that Pam and Karen are exchanging at the mall. Right. Um, and there definitely, are all kinds of different wacky interpretations of those. Yeah, there's, there's more, uh, I don't know, more uh, conspiracy theories in the Kennedy assassination, I think, in this episode. with Definitely for this episode. Like you yeah. said, all the looks and the glances and what did that mean? And, oh, she said that, and, and then she reacted. I think that a lot of, I think the writers were trying to make a 
fairly obvious. Drawing that schism between Pam and Karen. Um, yeah, I think that there may have been a little too obvious at times, actually. Yeah, I I suppose, but I even so, I didn't. It didn't bother me because at this point they're both sort of trying to be friendly to each other, but yet they both have a rivalry because they both know about what happened and you know the whole thing with Roy and, and their history and just kind of the advice that they give during the course of the episode and all the things that they say, they're almost, you know, like Pam says, don't answer the phone. Karen says, answer the phone. Karen says, stick Mm -hmm. it out. And Pam says, you got to get rid of her. All those different things. I don't know. I think it's more of a window kind of into their mindset at the time, which just sort of co-hap, you know, it sort of happens to tie into the whole jam aspect of the show. Speaking of which, I'm guessing these last two episodes are going (laughs) to... Shoot the whole wide, pardon the expression. Yeah, you'd have, to, you'd have to think so. We haven't had too much of that stuff building up, definitely, the last few weeks. So anything else? Now, you said at first on Thursday. So Thursday night, Ian was a, a big grump. Yeah, there's a, there's usually not that big a difference between Thursday night, Ian, and uh, Sunday or Monday when we tape. Yeah, I just I, it just wasn't funny to me at first. But one thing, you know, this episode, there is a lot of nuance I hate that word, but <laughs> but it did to me. This did seem like a rather complicated episode in terms of motivations and and things like that. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know. Like I, I said, part of the reason why I liked it as much as I did is just that Michael, again, while he's inappropriate in his response, his ridiculous kind of behavior is very understandable. Uh, it's very character driven not really situational driven and if the, I don't know if that sounds really pompous of me to say that but it's just sort of like you know it, it feels like this is really what Michael would do if he was in that situation it, not like oh okay well we need Michael to act like a moron so we'll write him to act like a moron um, it, it felt it just felt kind of like realistic and then you know after kind of messing around he had, you know his 14 year old self once he sort of realized that it was a safety issue and he could relate that to the rest of his life, you know, what was going on, um, you know, like I said, it was a character arc, and he changed his tune. He definitely, even though he was uh, kind of stupid, it was Michael who was trying his best and yet kind of failing, and not yeah. just idiot Michael running around. Well, crazy. at first it did look like it was going to be idiot Michael, and I think that's one of the reasons I... I wasn't enjoying the episode at first, thinking, this is another one where it's just over-the-top Michael, and it's all about him. I mean, it did end up being about him, but in a much different way, where he I mean, he wasn't, like, demanding attention, like in the Phyllis's Wedding episode, you know? Mm-hmm. At first, it felt like it was going to be that way, and I just... Right, and I think that's what turns it around, though, is the fact that after kind of goofing around for that brief, you know, introduction, he, he does... He's smarter than that. I mean, he even says, you know, yeah, I, I, he catches himself and says, you know, yeah, I know I went too far with that mm-hmm. last comment. And in, in another episode where he's acting like a total moron, you know, he wouldn't acknowledge the fact that he's acting like a moron. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which is one of the things I liked about this show that, you know, it just felt much more kind of down to earth, I guess. A lot of the things that happened were things that you could, I personally could relate to. Yeah, I had the same thing with the schoolgirl outfit as Michael does, but... No, um, <laughs> hopefully not. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I related to. We'll talk about that later. But uh, even so, I mean, let's just uh, dive right into this bad boy and right. uh, start tearing it up. But uh, actually, well, before we do that, though, let me say because you said at first that you didn't like it. Now, have you changed your tune? I've backed off. Yeah, I mean, it, 
I, 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 have a, I do appreciate this episode much more now, but yeah. Well, what do you think I mean, it was that changed your mind on those couple different viewings? I think just getting over the cringe part of it, you know? Once, once I, I knew what was going to happen, and I just wasn't so flooded with, oh, he's being such an asshole, you know? <laughs> and then to actually appreciate the story more, or what, or what was happening um, in terms of Michael's development in the episode. <laughs> well, all right. Whatever the case may be, I'm glad that you did come around a little bit. Um, I, I kind of joked on the blog page and uh, in the con- in the chat room that maybe one of the reasons why I liked this so much is that I was asleep uh, right up until <laughs> 7:30, and I woke up and turned on the show, and I so I had nothing like I don't know. I wasn't like sitting there worrying about it. You know, oh, is it going to live up to the hype or whatever the case is? I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. But I like to think that. Uh, you know, this this episode was written by two of my favorite writers uh, on the show this season, the um, Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky. Um, they've written a lot of the ones I've enjoyed, or they've been, you know, the main writers on a lot of the episodes I've enjoyed this season so far. So, um, you know, I did not have to turn off my brain for this episode. I really enjoyed it. But let's go ahead and set this up now. What uh, what motivates all this character development? Hey, fellas. You all right? I think I just got flashed in the parking lot. The police are on it. They say they've already had three calls. Can you tell us what happened? I was walking to the building, and this man asked me for directions. And he was holding a map. And when I walked over, he had it out on the map. Phyllis, you're a married woman. The guy was just hanging brain. I mean, what's all the fuss? If that's flashing, then lock me up. I agree. And what is the fuss about hanging brains? <laughs> well, if you've ever found yourself in uh, just such a situation, I would imagine. Ian, we I love Phyllis's reading about where she says, on the map. <laughs> yeah, this has to be like, I think this is probably Phyllis's biggest speaking part ever in the series. But um, before we go on to that, though, let's just say I have to come clean. Uh, I, it took me about 20 listens to try to figure out what the hell Creed was saying because I had no idea what that meant. Um, and I looked it up actually in the Urban Dictionary online. It gave me my answer to what a hanging brain meant. So I don't know if it's just me and you or whatever, or if all the hipsters know already what that means or if it's a California thing or what. But uh, uh, hanging... Did you, did you try it at, at all during the, you know, during the week? No. See, I don't wear the boxers, so it's a little hard for me. But... Oh, I, I didn't mean literally. I meant uh, <laughs> the term... The, the term. <laughs> no, it doesn't really fit into conversation as much as you might think it does. But no, for no. those of you that don't know, let's uh, from the Urban Dictionary. Let's which define. is much better than Wikipedia, by the way. <laughs> All right, here we go. So, hanging brain. When your balls hang out the leg of your shorts and you're not even aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> How high do your shorts have to be? Well, I maybe, maybe like you're wearing those shorts, 70s though. like basketball shorts or something. Or you're know, wearing uh, running shorts, maybe. Uh, this know. commonly occurs <laughs> when you lean back and put your legs up while in a seated position and you're rocking short, <laughs> loose-fitting bottoms. Uh, oh, in other words, man. short shorts or short swim trunks. Now, this is the thing. So this is an accidental thing, and, and also, I guess, you know, can happen accidentally if you're wearing boxers or something. It can just swim trunks. Of... I can, yeah, I can see that. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, folks. I had no idea what that meant. Be- and, and why is it called hanging brain? Well, um, well the, uh, it looks like yeah, it looks a little bit like the two uh, 
hemispheres of our brain there. But anyway. <laughs> so you get to learn stuff on this show. Exactly. Too. And there you go. So Creed, he's been hanging brain before, and he doesn't see what the big deal is. Uh, now, we kind of talked about this last week, too much Creed. Um, did This is now the fourth episode in a row where we've had a bunch of crazy Creed stuff happen. What did you think about his part in this episode? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, it wasn't too much. I mean, I, I like the... the uh, part with them in the bathroom later on. But, yeah, it mm-hmm. does seem to, that it is more than just a coincidence that they happen to, you know, have two episodes in a row where he has a big speaking role that maybe it seems like a deliberate effort now to give him more lines. I'm, I'm hoping that, that that's not, we're not going to have, like, the, the mandated creed in every episode from now on for the history of the show. Like I said, I think he's best when he's brought out just for, like, those one or two rare wacky comments. So there you go. Uh, Phyllis, like you said, had a big role in this episode, definitely. A um, little weird. <laughs> weird of a situation, I guess. I don't know. I uh, haven't had too much experience with, with being flashers, flash. I guess. <laughs> I, I remember there always. I remember hearing, like, every once in a while when I was in, in college that you'd hear, like, in the police blotter, some, some guy <laughs> flashing the, the library window or some weird... Yeah, or somebody like that, who, but, I don't know, like, Asked a girl to come over to his car for a minute, also asking for directions. Apparently, that's a popular. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely like a. I don't know. Did that remind you of Seinfeld? That whole thing he had it out. <laughs> you remember that episode? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that you mentioned. It. No, actually, I wasn't thinking of that. Maybe it was because of, again of Phyllis's line reading. All right. Well, um, you know, everyone kind of springs into action, and and that really no sets off. <laughs> That really sets. We're going to be doing that a lot, I think, this episode. Probably. That really sets off a lot of all the different plot lines spin off from this one event. Everyone's really shocked and kind of disgusted, and you know, Phyllis is being calmed down, and the police have been called, and you know, once again, uh, Andy, totally <laughs> useless, <laughs> yeah, in the show, and, and and maybe they're doing that on purpose to isolate Karen and Andy in this episode. I don't know if, if you think that was the case or not, but definitely, I mean, he just kind of, you know, just like last week or just like the other weeks, he's, he butts in with, uh, you know, oh, what can I do to help? And no one says anything to him. It's like, well, I'll just check, the, check web. the web. Now, this is the thing that everyone kind of objects to, I guess, uh, depending on your point of view. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, other people like Ian thought it was horribly, terribly unfunny, but uh, let's take a listen to Michael as he comes into the office. What's happened? Oh, some guy exposed himself to Phyllis in the parking lot. Really? Is she okay? Phyllis, you say? <laughs> what is so funny? I mean, did he even see Pam? Or uh, Karen from behind? <laughs> I'm guessing not. <laughs> it's pretty funny when you think about it. Oh, not really, no. It's disgusting and demeaning. Oh, okay. The guy dropped his pants. Have you ever been to the circus? What's going on? Oh, Phyllis got flashed. <laughs> I don't think laughing about it's a appropriate response. Oh, come on. We were laughing at Phyllis, but she's not even here, so no harm, no foul. Don't hit the woman in the thought. Incidentally, where were you during all of this? Maybe you're the flasher. I was at a parent-teacher conference. Uh-huh. Prove it. Let's see your penis. Oh, that's just uh, the first time I heard all that. Like, oh, that's so awful, man. <laughs> well, it is because you know part of the thing is, like you said, he's 
and he's like, oh, we're laughing at Phyllis, but no one else is laughing. You know, obviously he's all by himself, doesn't realize yeah. that, or either it has blocked out the fact that everyone else is staring at him. Yeah, he's clearly uh, misjudged the uh, mood in the room. This is like, like I said, though, this is the thing that I liked about the episode, that you see all these different sides of Michael's personality. Like, right when he comes in and, and finds out what's happened, he's concerned. You know, he's like, oh, is she okay? Yeah. Then it kind of sinks in. Then, then the 14-year-old boy... Uh, mentality sets in, and so he starts thinking it's, you know, he finds it funny and starts yeah. laughing, and he does his finger in the pants thing, and he's jumping around and acting a little crazy, and then when he goes that one step too far, and, and that's the thing, like you said, in a bad episode he wouldn't realize it, or wouldn't acknowledge it, and in a good episode like this, he realizes that he has gone too far, and uh, and has made a mistake, and this is when his brain also starts kind of connecting all this stuff up together, you know, what the women are feeling, what Phyllis is feeling, and what he's been feeling. You know, as that was coming out of my mouth, I knew that it was wrong. In all the excitement, I forgot that my primary goal is to keep people safe. Women can't have fun if they don't feel safe. For example, Jan and I have a safe word in case things go too far. If one of us says that word, the other one has to stop. Although last time, she pretended she didn't hear me. I am sick over this thing. Those people out there are clearly afraid, and that can't happen. Not in my house. Was it just me, or, or did you did you think that he was going to say that's what she said? No, actually, I didn't. I don't know why. <laughs> right, well, I, I, right after he said that, right when that was coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh. That's got to be a that's what she said. Come on. Uh, maybe they edited it out. Which would have totally I, undercut, you know, the intention of, you know, yeah, what maybe, you got out of that line. Maybe that's why. I guess, I, I have a feeling that maybe they edited that out to make it a little more serious. But, but yeah, um, and, and there we go. There's our reasoning. You know, why is Michael all of a sudden starting to feel bad about all this? He's equating it with his totally messed up relationship with Jan and their, their freaky sex life with the safe word. <laughs> And the last time she didn't listen, <laughs> pretended she didn't hear me when I said it. <laughs> I can only imagine what they were doing. You know, like I said, that leads us off into the Michael plot line here, where Michael has to take it upon himself. And he, he, as he says, you know, he's sick about this now, and he's feeling really bad, and he wants to get that taken care of. And so what's the best way? Well, he's got to try to set things right the only way he knows how, and uh, unfortunately, Dwight has already tried to set it straight the only way he knows how. Dwight, this memo that you distributed is insulting. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Okay, you know something, Dwight? We are not the terrorists. Why don't you just take these women, put them in a burlap sack, and hit them with a stick? I celebrate these women. They deserve the right to dress as they please. If Pam wants to show more cleavage, she should be able to. I encourage that. Look, it's really simple. We just want you guys to treat us with respect. Did you hear that, Dwight? Did you hear that, Michael? No, Dwight. Respect. R-E-S-P-C-T. Find out what it means to me. <laughs> that line reading there, the end, like the, missing up the letters is kind of a little lame, but the whole find out yeah. what it means to me. <laughs> He's serious. How about Dwight <laughs> Chapping back at Michael. Yeah, there. throwing it Did back. You know yeah. Did you hear that, Michael? Uh, well, all I got to say is if we can't have bananas in the break room, Ian, the terrorists have already won. So, again, you know, that, that whole thing is ridiculous. That Dwight kind of starts out with 
actually coming up with some good ideas. Like I have a petition to uh, increase the security in the parking lot and get some floodlights and some other stuff. And then he takes it one step too far. You know, like uh, you can't wear any makeup. You can't wear high heels higher than a quarter inch. You have to have button-down collars and all these other things. Yeah, there's also a great moment where, yeah, it's not going to show up in audio, but like where, you know, Pam's reading off the, the memo saying, you know, how people dress. Yeah. And then, you know, then she says, nobody dresses like that. And then the camera pans over to Angela real quick. Yeah, Dwight's model of uh, modesty. All right, just like we've always seen throughout this season, last season, whenever something gets in Michael's craw, it's a call to the conference room. All right, you know what? That's it. Conference room, five minutes. Women's appreciation. Wait a second. How are you qualified for that? Oh, I don't know, James. Did I come from a woman? Have I slept with a woman? More than one? Less than three. That is not current. I am the expert. I know the crap out of women. Nobody likes to be flashed. When Meredith flashed me at that Christmas party, I nearly vomited. My point is, a penis, when seen in the right context, is the most wonderful sight for a woman. But in the wrong context, it is like a monster movie. Alien. What are, shut it, shut up. Okay, so what I want to engage us in today is a hardcore discussion about women's problems and issues and situations. I don't know, the fact that he says issues for some reason, that's yeah, so that was... stupid. I don't know why I thought that was hilarious. I don't know if he did that on purpose or what, but uh, well, there's a lot of stuff in that whole like segment there. I mean, I cracked up at the whole thing. Like when Meredith flashed me, <laughs> I almost wanted to vomit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's obviously from our season two Christmas episode. Just everything in there, all the stuff at the beginning, too. <laughs> like he calls him James. Yeah, that was... <laughs> no, I know the crap out of women. <laughs> and just and just Dwight, again, you're talking about Dwight giving him some sass back before. <laughs> He's like, I've slept with more than one woman, but less than three. Oh, that's not current. How, how would Dwight know <laughs> that exactly? You know Michael's coming in there bragging probably every time oh, he's boy, ever yeah. done it. But uh, in any event, yeah, just like Alien, <laughs> dude, <laughs> bursting out there. Obviously, the whole thing, you know, Michael does his usual job of trying his best and trying to be really sincere, but yet failing, as we said, failing pretty miserably. And, you know, maybe it takes that outsider's perspective to stand up, really kind of tell him off and really understand what's so screwed up about this. But, you know, Karen definitely made herself the odd woman out in this episode, kind of distancing herself from kind of the madness from the other people. In oh, the yeah, office. I feel like they, they were... They're setting the seeds for her departure with that. And so Karen, uh, really, in her own understated way, tries to tell Michael off. What you're saying is extremely misogynistic. Yes. Thank you. I'm saying that you're being sexist. No, I'm being misogynistic. That is insane. I'm not being sexist. Michael, when I got my hair cut chart, you asked me if I was a lesbian. And when we get mad, you always ask us if we're on our period. I have to know whether you're serious or not. Can we just get back to work? This well, is not work talk. You're right. This is a masculine environment. We need to find a place where you feel comfortable. You know where we're going to go? Steamtown Mall. Frankly, it's kind of insulting, but I have a bunch of stuff I need to return in my car, so I can do that. I don't know if I'm allowed to laugh at this as, as a guy, but uh, I thought that was perfectly hilarious the way that they undercut the, uh, you know, how dare you suggest that a woman's place is in the mall? <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they just undercut that with Karen. Oh, but I do have a bunch of stuff to return. So. Uh, might as well make the best of it. They know they're not going to change. They're not going to change Michael. Yeah, he's he's kind of going back and forth anyway between being actually kind of insightful and sensitive to being completely clueless. Well, again, but that's just his character. You know, he's just not right. not an educated man. <laughs> Not a worldly man, not an educated man. Uh, doesn't obviously doesn't know what misogynistic means, and it's quite proud to be called a misogynist. In fact, yeah. So that sets us off on our path of adventure, and we we mentioned this before in the news uh, a few episodes back about how they were shooting some exterior and interior footage of the good old Steamtown Mall, and so here we go. Uh, Scranton's favorite place to shop. And uh, Michael and the gals then are off for a day at the mall. Well, Ian, we've been talking about this uh, for the last, I don't know, the whole season, that we really haven't gotten a lot of Meredith. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Meredith in this episode is really a disgusting human being. Yes. <laughs> She's just so disgusting. You know, yeah, we get a little more of her world maybe than we wanted to see. Yeah, let's talk about that, though. She's, uh, you know, they drive there in her minivan, of course, all the ladies and Michael. Um, Angela yelling at her to uh, to slow down. And then, while she's driving, she's basically, like, slamming a bag of potato chip crumbs. <laughs> and then she throws it out the window. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this huge bag of, of chips. And, and then she, like, grinds somebody's car in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, every, it's like everyone else in the office are just too nice. You know, it's like they're – I think that's part of this thing, like, maybe why Karen and, and Andy don't really fit in is that they're not really part of the, the family. You know how it is with your own – you know, your own – your own family, they do a bunch of crazy, weird, bizarre stuff, and you don't really say anything. You're just like, oh, well, that's that's Meredith for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, someone's got to get it. they got to do an intervention. I'm hoping that next season we'll have an episode that's called The Intervention. <laughs> and, uh, and we can start off with uh, getting Meredith some help. I can only assume that she was buzzed or something during the course of that <laughs> that afternoon. So getting to the mall kind of an adventure in and of itself but uh once they get there uh michael and his gal pals set down to hash out some of life's issues so let's dish what do you think of role play well jan has this schoolgirl fantasy it's a pretty common one i just i feel uncomfortable wearing the dress michael you shouldn't do anything that you're uncomfortable with I don't know, maybe we're different people. I like cuddling and spooning, and she likes videotaping us during sex. Oh, my God. And then watching it back right afterward to improve my form. That is not healthy behavior. No, it's not that bad. The worst part is that she shows it to her therapist, and they discuss it. Michael, you need to get out of this. Normal women don't do stuff like that. This is bad. No, that's no, all right. I'm okay. I'm okay. You guys, what am I going to do about Jan? You're laughing at that. I don't know. I, I want to talk about that. You're such a girl at that moment. Come on. I want to talk about that scene because I actually, I told you before that when I was rewatching it again today, I actually really kind of got a little choked up there at Michael and his just kind of sadness. I mean, Carell plays that so well. I don't, you know, he doesn't even play it like as comedy, uh, comedy crying or something. It's just, it, you can just see the no, guy. Yeah, yeah. The poor guy breaks down and he's just like having all these bad, you know, his girlfriend is a total freak. And uh, and everyone else is telling him that she's such a freak and all these things. You know, he, he's so like we said before, he's so inexperienced with uh, with all this stuff that just I don't I don't even know how he could have survived this long in that relationship. Well, he was getting late. 
Yeah, and he's making a couple two, three hundred bucks too. Apparently, when he yeah. shows up on the nightstand there at Chan's house. Uh, I, I don't know. I I really felt for the guy, and it's kind of weird when you listen to that whole speech where he talks about the relationship. It's just so demented. Like, <laughs> yeah, she shows it to her therapist. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that's, that we've been talking about this all year so far with the Jan and Michael stuff is this whole idea of the role reversal, mm-hmm. you know, the gender role reversal. And, and, okay, like you said, I mean, obviously that's the whole setup here is that Michael is one of the girls, really, yeah. in an abusive relationship, in a crazy relationship that, uh, that he has to get out of. And I, maybe that's why Pam's really actually being helpful to him, that she can identify. Oh, she can totally relate to that, yeah. So what's he going to do about Jan? Well, good old pros and cons. Okay, okay, cons. Cons. Insecure about body. I'm unhappy when I'm with her. Flat-chested. What was the last one? I'm unhappy when I'm with her. You shouldn't be with someone who doesn't make you happy. I'm happy sometimes. When we scrapbook or right towards the end of having sex. Look, most relationships have their rough patches. You just have to push through it sometimes. Yeah, that's smart. Maybe, but it sounds like you're just wrong for each other. That sounds good, too. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. I bet you know. Don't think, just answer. What do you want to do about Jan? I want to break up with Jan. Wow. I want to break up with Jan. I don't know. Like the whole the the pros list uh, is you know just a bunch of stuff that she dresses nice and has nice skin and uh, other kind of ridiculous nice things. Um, <laughs> I like that. I'm I'm happy when we're scrapbooking and I'm usually happy towards the very end of sex. <laughs> just picture the scrapbooking. <laughs> uh, I hope that you're happy girl. at the very end of sex, man. If nothing else. Uh, I don't know. I, what kind of what do you think they can put in a scrapbook? Our, our first ball gag, or I, I don't know what the hell. The uh, love contract. <laughs> there you uh, go. Um, <sighs> the mind boggles, doesn't first it? First ball gag. <laughs> well, and, and so then Michael gets fired up there thanks to uh, the advice. Let's talk about that because, like, like we said before, this scene was rife with interpretation. Oh, a lot yeah. of people. Um, Part we didn't play is they, they're, they're talking about the relationships. And like you said, Kelly talks about her relationship and says, well, it's pretty terrible, um, which really kind of echoes Michael's situation there, the same kind of thing. Um, and, and then Karen, they, they focus on her face, and, and she kind of gives this disgusted look. Uh, and, and you said before, you know, it's probably just, she's just thinking, wow, this is like pathetic. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that plays into the stuff with Ryan. Right, I don't think there's any truth to that whole thing that uh, – she has any interest in Ryan whatsoever. It's just, you know, it's just like, wow, what am I doing here with these crazy people? But even back with uh, Pam saying to Michael, maybe you two are just wrong for each other. Of course, you know, the underlying subtext is, oh, that applies to Karen and Jim. But, I mean, I don't, she's not talking about that. Right, and I think that's part of, uh, again, I, I guess you could criticize this scene, and some people have, like I said, by saying it's just way too obvious what's going on but on the other hand i mean you know it just it, it reflects their different maybe personality styles their 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 different relationships or just um, yeah what the different relationships exactly what they've been through i mean yeah. karen maybe karen's never been through a relationship like Pam's well, been through with roy you know so she yeah and also i mean think about it what is what have karen and jim been doing um you know they've been trying to grind on through they've been had they had a rough spot and they had those five-hour chat and uh mm-hmm. and they're trying to make their you know 
that's her experience right now. That's what you do when you have this person that you want to be with. Pam's just woken up to that whole idea that sometimes people are just wrong for each other, just like she's come to the realization. Yeah, uh, how much, uh, how much uh, work should something have to be? But then that sets Michael off, though, on his decision that he has to end it. And I'm glad. I, I know some people are saying, well, they're going to get back together. Um, and maybe they will, but I don't yeah, know. Okay. I'm, I'm really kind of glad that they decided to end it like this, or at least temporarily, just because, it does you know, seem like she's it's... a freak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that. I mean, I, I kinda, I, I've always been amused by the idea of Michael being this sort of abused boy toy. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, you do wonder, I mean, how far can they really go with this, you know? So It's pretty much a one-note gag. Yeah, and then that, too, kind of gets rid of that whole idea that, you know, she's his boss, and uh, kind of like the way it used to be, I guess, where he was just getting chastised, and, and there wasn't that whole layer of how that's her boyfriend and, and these different well, things. So, I don't know, maybe that added a little as far spice. As, you know, one, one thing that could be interesting for the final two episodes of the season. I mean, we, we saw how quickly their dynamic can change, like at the end of the uh, of the Cocktails episode mm-hmm. where Michael is expressing his unhappiness with the relationship and you can see Jan change real quick. So right. maybe, well, I do, maybe I, we'll see some more of that. I think we do see that, though, at the end of this episode, in fact. Um, and we can talk about that when we get to, get to that point in a little while. Now, uh, this is, again, one of these things, and we talked about this before, that uh, Pam's arc through this season was that kind of road to personal discovery, uh, standing on her own two feet. And maybe this was obvious, but I really thought it was a nice scene. Michael, you know how to um, change a wheel, right? Uh, yeah. Could somebody grab me the lever, and I will... Here, uh, Meredith, why don't you put your hazards on? Yeah, get your hazards on for safety. I think I've got it. Do you have a, a Crescent, a Crescent Allen? I don't think we really need that, Michael. Uh, you know what? I'm going to, you take care of that. I'm going to do traffic detail. You know, I changed a tire today, all by myself. This bathroom's already coming in handy. Coming! Good old Pammy. Yeah. <laughs> doing it for herself, as they say. <laughs> uh, sisters are doing it for themselves. You know, that's... I, like I said, I like that scene, and, and somebody brought this up, though, that you remember back in Ben Franklin where Michael was reading all his things a man should know books? Someone brought that up. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, something that a man should know? Absolutely. How to do that? Yeah, I, that, that is definite man card territory. Yeah, um, uh, and, yeah uh, anything a man should know. So, that, Michael, that, <laughs> I think that. Michael has lost all his man cards this episode, and... You know, definitely Pam steps up and takes charge, and, you know, I don't know, I, I guess you could say it's not a really huge deal, but for her, that probably is a huge deal. No, I think deal. it was. I, I don't think that was thrown in there. It certainly wasn't a throwaway moment. Was... Yeah, I mean, she probably never had to do that before, uh, always had Roy to back her up and do all the manly stuff, and so there she goes. And now <sighs> she can, yes. Exactly. So you go, girl. All right, well, once they get back to the office, we get the actual breakup call here. Okay, I am really going to do this. I'm getting her voicemail. Don't leave him. Hey, Jan, it's me, Michael. I'm just calling to say that I think we need a little break permanently. Oh, just so you know, it's not me, it's you. Okay, buddy, somebody just walked in. I have to go, Um, so I'll talk to you later. Michael, I was really unhappy with our conversation earlier, and I I just I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I decided that I would drive down here and apologize to you in person. So I'm sorry. 
Thank you. So, we're good? Absolutely. Oh, hold on. No. Sorry. No. One second. Oh, it's from you. Most awkward breakup ever. Ever, yeah. Now, were you... I, love, I love his kiss up on the... It's not... <laughs> yes, yeah, just so you know, it's not me, it's, it's you. Not me, it's you. <laughs> that is that is classic. But now, did you expe- did you expect that to happen? Were you surprised when she came walking in? No, actually, I wasn't. I mean, I'm not to say I was expecting it per se either, but I just you know what could what could possibly make this moment worse? <laughs> yeah, definitely. There it is. You know, I, I guess. But even that's the thing, though. If if he wouldn't have left that message, would he have found the courage to? Uh, to break that's, up with her. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. You know, if if he hadn't left that message and Jan was all apologetic and so forth, that you know, he probably wouldn't have. Yeah, I guess this we we talked about just a minute ago that you got to sort of feel bad then a little bit for Jan because, like with cocktails and like we've seen uh, in Casino Night and other places where she kind of makes this effort to be with Michael and she comes down and is, is sorry and apologizes and uh, <laughs> and then finds out over her voicemail. <laughs> And just the look on her face, too, as the whole thing's going on, and Michael's just staring at her like, yeah, let's go get some Italian or yeah, um, Chinese. You know, I've gone on and on about how great I think Melora Hardin's been all season, and that was just another, you know, in her one scene. Like you said, you see it all on her face. You don't even need to hear the message, even though you kind of do. Yeah. In the background there. And just the whole thing where he's like, oh, oh hey, buddy, someone's coming in, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> and then you hear that. You know, she heard him say that when she walked in. And uh, man, you know, it's funny too. Going into that scene when he decides he's going to break up, as he's going into the office, you know, he's like, "Okay, I need my girls on this one." Uh-huh. It reminds me of other scenes where he's like, you know, he needs his entourage, you know, exactly. Jim and Ryan to come along. Well, Michael has uh, kind of gotten in touch with his feminine side, I guess, this episode. So he needs his girls there for support. <laughs> I like it where he, and again, how he says it. People have people have said this, like I guess some criticism on the blog page about how they're sick of Phyllis getting ragged on. Um, mm-hmm. And it felt like Michael was really, you know, Dwight in the last episode was making fun of her with the plant. And, and in this episode, Michael was making fun of her. And then, again, right at the end, like he just said, when he's going to go into his office, he's like, I need my girls, you know, Pam, Karen, oh, and even you, Phyllis, come on in. <laughs> I don't know. Although, I mean, yeah, I mean, Phyllis is the one that really pushed him over the edge as far as letting him know he need, this is what he needs to do. Right. So I just thought that Michael's arc, and I'm sorry that it sounds pretentious to keep using that word, but I... I thought his development through this episode, I, I thought that was perfect. One of the reasons why I really liked this episode a lot was just the fact that what he goes through is not really over-the-top hilarious, the whole episode, but it's just no. very its very true to his character. It's very believable kind of action there. Um, and I felt that emotion. You know, like I said, when he's, when he's breaking down in the mall, like, you know, I, I felt for the guy. So, You know what, though? This kind of occurred to me as I was listening to this scene over again. You also get this impression that part of the reason those two are having problems is that Michael probably has not expressed any of his issues, issues with <laughs> Jan. You know, like if he'd have spoken up, if he'd have said foliage more often. Well, that's I, that's the problem, I guess, is that he's, you know, he's in that submissive, whatever, typically stereotypical female role in the relationship, I guess. And, and he tried. The guy said the safety word and she didn't listen. Yeah. But, <laughs> she I mean, ignored him. Not to get too serious or anything, but that that is kind of a, a lot of problems relationships have, right? I mean, you know, right. talk about people aren't talking about things, and if they just gotten these issues on the table, 
you know, there wouldn't have been problems or, or, or you know, they would have worked it out. Right. Well, I can just, I mean, based on the way that this is going, I, I can just see, you know, Michael kind of hesitantly trying to bring something up. And, and he doesn't he even say that in the episode when they're talking? He's like, well, Jan says what, you know, what doesn't scare us isn't interesting or some, like, thing like that. Yeah. So he probably has brought it up. Like, no, I don't want to do this. He's like, well, come on, Michael, be a man or, you know, do whatever. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, definitely sort of a weird, abusive relationship. I hope that's not where it ends. All right. Well, you know, what has Michael learned from this whole experience? You know, what, what is, how does he sum this whole thing up? Well, I, I think he does it very, very poignantly. Any man who says he totally understands women is a fool. There's a wishing fountain at the mall, and I threw a coin in for every woman in the world and made a wish. I wished for Jan to get over me. I wished for Phyllis a plasma TV. I wished for Pam to gain courage. I wished for Angela a heart and for Kelly a brain. <laughs> Michael, how can you appreciate women so much but also dump one of them? You mean, how can I be so illogical and flighty and unpredictable and emotional? Well, maybe I learned something from women after all. But, you know, I, I just, I love that ending. He gets all Wizard of Oz on the office there. You know, Pam needs some courage, and obviously she does. And there's some people, again, some comments on the blog page saying, like, well, how does Michael know that Pam needs courage? And well, I don't know. I, I think that's come well, up. I mean, why wouldn't he know? I mean, how, he's... Yeah, he he knows that she's kind of meek and, and doesn't really go for what she wants. And, and yeah. he was there to support her at the art show and... All those things. So I don't know. I mean, that's the thing I say. You can be alternately clueless and perceptive at the same time. That's what I like best when they write him that way, is that he's not stupid. He does some stupid things sometimes, but, uh, you know. (laughs) And he's accurate enough, obviously, to know that uh, Angela needs a heart and that thing with Kelly needs a brain. (laughs) Just the the video that went with that clip is she's, like, jumping up and down with joy, her hands full of, like, thongs. (laughs) And Victoria's Secret just going nuts. Definitely a nice ending to the Michael plotline. All right, well, uh, while the ladies are away, the mice will play, as they say, and the guys are left alone to their own devices, and uh, Kevin tries to answer one of the great mysteries of our time. Hey, Jim, do you want to go in the women's bathroom? No. Thank you, though. You aren't curious? Not really. I've seen a bathroom before. Yeah, but... It's every guy's fantasy. I think you mean a girl's locker room. And in the fantasy, there's usually girls in it. I'm going in. Go crazy. Oh. My. God. Well, I stand corrected. This is pretty cool. Yes. Now, I gotta say, this is one of the things that we disagreed on, because I, I thought this little plot line here was perfect, because I've actually had similar situations where I've had that couch envy as it were um you know i've i've heard about this from other female friends that talk about you know how they have this lounge in their bathroom and, and a chair and a couch and all this stuff and and i'm sitting there looking at our uh, you know the guys stinking urinals and the uh <laughs> but why would you want to sit in a bathroom i don't get well, <laughs> well that's I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about why the women would do it because you <laughs> specifically use the word envy would you really want to sit <laughs> In a men's bathroom, well, even if you there know, like was you a said, couch. Probably not. You know, but if, if you're not standing up, it's the by the way, you already are sitting down. That's not the same thing. No. That's not supposed to be. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Look at their bathroom in there, man. That was a paradise. 
the couch is there only because, as far as I could tell, there's only one stall in that bathroom. Oh, man. It's all about treating yourself to a little break from work. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm over There's a room in most offices bit, called the break room. <laughs> well, I'm over exaggerating a little bit. But I mean, I've had those conversations with female friends about how, you know, like I said, they have these couches and stuff in the bathroom. I just always kind of found that, you know, do I seriously envy the fact that they have a couch? No, of course not. But, you know, it's just one of those kind of funny things that I, and it just struck me as funny because I had gone through that kind of same situation. But like you said, I mean, it's one of those things like, would you want to... <laughs> would you take a nap on the couch in there? Is that why you don't remember? Well, Jim, Jim took a nap on the couch. You know, like I said, I've been in plenty of guys' bathrooms, and I, what most guys do in there, no, I don't think you'd want to be sitting around on a couch. No, uh, in fact, you know, everyone cleared out of there once. <laughs> exactly. Creed comes work. in there to do his toosie, so... Toosie. Uh, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching a lot of scrubs lately. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Um, I just thought it was kind of funny and it wasn't a huge deal, but still now this, I thought it was funny in that, you know, it, it did sort of lend this air of paradise is not the right word, but I mean, you know, you have this curiosity and then it like mm -hmm. exceeds expectations, you know? Yeah. It's a fabulous looking place. I mean, they have couch chair, they have like a little waterfall machine, uh, you know, lotions, all kinds of stuff at bought a potpourri. They're all playing around with all that stuff. Kevin's reading like the fashion magazine <laughs> and he just can't get enough of it. He's so happy. He's so pleased to be in there. That's what uh, I think maybe that's what sells it. But um, I'm fine with somebody leaving the USA Today sports section in one of the stalls. <laughs> oh, man, you never know where that's been. Now, this next clip, though, this is kind of interesting, and this is what some people have been, again, speculating on. I don't know. I think this is sort of like Jim, kind of like Jim the Dick, back again, <laughs> to slam down Ryan. We decide to take Karen tonight. Anna Maria's. What's the occasion? Six-month anniversary. What? Nothing. I think uh, we all kind of thought you guys were just, like, hooking up. No. We've been dating for six months. Uh, she might mention an email that I wrote. Oh, right. I remember that one. She read it to me. She said she's not really ready to date somebody in the office, but it's really like she was a friend. I figured. That's cool. I, don't, I wouldn't want to be in an office relationship anyway. <laughs> so there you go. You wonder why Kelly thinks that the relationship is awful. <laughs> Uh, as far as Jim being a dick there, though, I mean, come on, that, Ryan was just being such an ass there. Well, that's the thing. Well, that's what I mean. Like, everybody in this episode is projecting their own relationship onto other people. So, you know, Ryan, obviously, for him, being with Kelly is just about hooking up with, uh, with someone that's easy. I, yeah, uh, I didn't get the impression, also, that everyone else, you know, the other guys thought that Jim was just hooking up. Well, that's what I mean. I, I think he's just projecting his own, you know, his own experiences onto Jim. So in his mind, you know, like I said, he, him being with Kelly is just about the convenience of, uh, of the, you know, someone who's right there. And mm -hmm. if he could find someone else. And it's like even when, when they thought the branch was going to close, you remember that, how he said they'd, they'd have to break up? Yeah. <laughs> because, well, we just can't stay together if we're not working in the same office. Uh and, yeah, I just thought that was kind of hilarious. He'd, he he said while they're working, while he's supposedly, you know, going out with Kelly, he sends this email asking Karen to go out with him or something. And just, yeah, I mean, like I said, Jim, yeah, she read that to me. It's just kind of like this in-your-face, just... Definitely. Yeah. She just wants to be friends. I don't know. I just I thought that was kind of hilarious, Jim really sticking it to him. 
this is the weird part then uh, while they're all sitting in there kind of enjoying themselves. Like I said, Jim's like napping on the couch uh, and they're all just hanging out in there. We have a, a really kind of bizarre surprise visitor. This is so great, huh? We should do this much more often. I think we hang out an appropriate amount of time. What are you doing in here? This is the woman's room. You're in here. I pay for that privilege. Okay. I'm a pretty normal guy. I do one weird thing. I like to go in the women's room for number two. I've been caught several times, and I have paid dearly. So now we were talking about this before. <laughs> Who is he paying, or how does this work? <laughs> it's got to be Meredith. <laughs> That's the only person I can think of who would willingly just take the cash and keep quiet. Uh, yeah, pretty normal guy. Just that one weird thing there. <laughs> yeah, pretty normal guy. See, now I'm kind of seeing your your way as far as bathroom envy. You know, you're sitting there. It's peaceful. It smells potpourri. There's a waterfall running. Maybe, you know, when you have to drop a deuce, then, you know, you relax and do what you need to do. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Well, there you go. Uh bathroom i guess envy over for now now that creed has soiled the paradise oh man well all right so back again let's rewind back to the beginning uh again and follow dwight and andy on their plot lines you know as soon as the flasher is sighted you know dwight's running out there and he's ready to go and i, I again i thought it was hilarious they, they had that shout back to the uh business school episode where he's like armed with his vampire hunting broom oh, yeah. <laughs> stabbing it in the bush yeah, what, what is that where he licks it I mean, <laughs> well he must have hit something in there I don't know Got a straight dog or something in the bush I don't know who knows but <sighs> I guess after all his other weapons got confiscated that's uh, probably all he's got left well Dwight uh, you know like I said he tries to take charge and so definitely wants to get in there and start investigating. Employees of this office are very small and delicate, deserve protection from local pervs. Better a thousand innocent men are locked up than one guilty man roam free. Let me show you what I've been working on. There are several penises there I'd love Phyllis to run her eyes over and I'll see if we can catch this pervert. This is the last thing that Phyllis needs to see right now. Dwight, look at that one. Dwight, are those your pants? That's a Polaroid. Now, some people, again, they've kind of questioned, like, why would Dwight take a picture of his own genitals and throw it in there? But, uh, I mean, it's it's common police procedure, man, yeah, right? You got to line up. You got to have yeah. the innocent penises in there along with the guilty penises to uh, to pick it out. Now, I guess my question is, what did he think that would accomplish? I don't know. <laughs> what did he think was going to happen when she ran her eye over it? Was it just like, different types? Uh, That's the one. Michael, again, not really receptive. He's, he's in his phase where he's feeling the fear and relating to the ladies, so it doesn't quite go over as well as Dwight had hoped. Now, what uh, what happens next? Well, Dwight has another great idea. Pam, you can draw, kind of. Why don't you work with Phallus on drawing a picture of the exposer that I can post around the community? Phallus? Phyllis, sorry. I've got penises on the brain. Back to work, everybody. I didn't really get a good look. That's okay. I don't feel like answering phones. Are you finished with the sketch? Yeah. Hmm, doesn't seem like the type. Uh, Phyllis got a good look. I plan on plastering this pervert's face everywhere. You can run, but you cannot hide. Did you buy that joke? Is it too ridiculous? Uh, 
No, believe. I don't think so. No, I thought it was a little like, prank to play on Dwight. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, definitely great artwork, though. We talked about this before because we're kind of comic nerds, so I don't know if uh, I, maybe I'm really overreaching myself. But that definitely, to me, it looked like uh, Charles Burns yeah. artwork there, uh, Black Hole. If you've ever seen that on the bestseller list or taking a look at that at Barnes and Noble, you can see what I mean, maybe. But I know that she's friends with Joe Matt, so maybe they had like the comic connection because isn't her husband kind of a comic nerd? Oh yeah, yeah. We should we should get on that. We should find that out. If only we had the prop guy's blog. Oh yeah. Oh, that poor sucker. All right, John, the prop guy. Questions never answered. Um, and again, that sets up the whole the whole rest of Dwight's plotline with that uh, the sketch, the little <laughs> basically Dwight without his glasses with the little uh, John Waters mustache <laughs> or something <laughs> on his lip. Dwight obviously I don't know maybe he doesn't look in the mirror enough, but uh, does not recognize himself. Now this line, Ian, this is almost crossing the border <laughs> of. Uh, like last week where he kind of throws out that thing about the goats and the chicken and the pigs washing. Um, I, I don't know. Dwight always looks on the bright side of life. I wish I could menstruate. If I could menstruate, I wouldn't have to deal with idiotic calendars anymore. I'd just be able to count down from my previous cycle. Plus, I'd be more in tune with the moon and the tides. So what would you think about that line? That's pretty stupid, actually. But... <laughs> well, like I said, he sees the best in everything, I guess. He's amassing Being in tune more... with the moon and the tides. I shouldn't underestimate the appeal of that. (laughs) Amassing more of his superpowers, I guess. Now, Dwight and Andy, again, get kind of teamed up. And I'm I'm sensing a pattern here, Ian, with uh, Dwight and Andy being connected. I guess is that Andy's role in the show now to be Dwight's sidekick? Yeah, that makes sense. The the shun didn't last for too long. Well, you know, there's, there's bigger things. Yeah, that's true. And this task force has been giving the top priority over all the other task forces. So uh, definitely Dwight and Andy are on the ball, and uh, let's just take a peek into their investigation. We really appreciate your letting me work alongside you so closely today. Of course you do, Moonface. That's because you're a preppy freak, you're the office pariah, and nobody likes you. So start hanging these all around the building. This guy looks like a real deviant. Uh, no, duh. That's why we got to catch him. Start hanging those. Aye, aye, Captain. More like aye, aye, General. Think we'll find him? Yeah, I do. Because justice never rests. Tabsies? No. Holesies. Listen, man, I, I really appreciate you letting me shadow you today. I feel like I learned a lot. Natch. Yep. If you don't mind, I think I'll hang up some of these posters around my neighborhood. Schools, post office, etc. You know, I may have underestimated you. They're not until last. Alien, that's what I that's what I always think when I met you. <laughs> I may have underestimated you, but no. If you still. swiped my entire candy. You can't steal all the guy's entire candy bar. <laughs> yeah. Holesies. And then Dwight, he eats half the thing. He's just in that, you know, it's the thing. Like, he's in that power position here in the, in the investigation, and Andy is purposely playing that little kind of suck-up sidekick guy. Um, I just, I don't know, I love that. Like, you said... Uh, that line where he's like, oh, sh- you know, whatever, shut up, Moonface. <laughs> You're a preppy nerd in the office pariah. No one likes you. Oh, yeah. That was insane. I mean, he brutal. Exactly right there, yeah. Definitely brutal. And the, the, the funny thing is there that Andy is obviously much more on the ball than Dwight because after he, you know, it gets insulted like that, there's kind of a brief little take there where he realizes – that, uh, you know, it's a picture of Dwight, but... Yeah, as soon as Dwight hands him the flyer, he looks at the camera. Yeah. Knowingly. And since he's just been kind of insulted a lot, he just decides to go along 
with the gag. Had he not been insulted, would he even have pointed it out? <laughs> uh, well, if they actually had some kind of a close friendship, I, I, I guess. But they still have that, that enmity built up there. Um, and Andy's, you know, again, I, I'm trying to think of his motivations on why he's being so nice to Dwight in all these last three episodes. No, he feels bad for getting him fired. Well, you still think he feels bad for getting him fired? Well, <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think he does. <laughs> why not? And just his whole attitude, you're like, yeah, Natch. Of course, you, you <laughs> learned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the whole time he tries to play like this big detective, you know, like, I've been working, let me show you what I've been working on. This file, or later on. When yeah, it's a big gag. I could put it out there. Yeah, the map. He puts a one red pin in the middle of Scranton in the this Pennsylvania state map. Well, payback, as they say, is a bitch, and it comes for Dwight. Thunder Mifflin Paper slash Sex Predator Hotline. This is Dwight Schrute. Hey, Dwight. It's Jim. Jim, what are you doing? I'm busy. No, you're not. I'm looking right at you. I am. Don't have information about the sex predator. I saw him two minutes ago. Where? In the women's bathroom above the sink. Anti-flashing task force! Above the sink. The sink. Hmm. I mean, it's a brilliant comedy reveal. It's, it's kind of like forced and maybe fake that that was. Just that uh, <laughs> it just you know it's, it's all lined up where he comes in there's like a little little mustache <laughs> scribbled on the mirror and he he lines himself right up to the mustache and takes off his glasses and finally <laughs> finally comes to the sad realization that uh, he's been. Punked. Well, Ian, uh, maybe because it was supersized or whatever the case may be, uh, no deleted scenes at all this week. You know, maybe they had to cram every last frame into that 40-minute episode. 40-minute yeah. episode, didn't have any room to spare. Now, we do have, though, sort of a little extra treat here for listeners. Um, Eagle Eye viewers might have looked at that pervert flyer that Dwight printed up and saw that there was a, a 1-800 number on the flyer, and that is actually a live number. And if you called that number, which is 1-800-984-3672, well, you'll, uh, you'll get uh, right through to Dwight and the pervert hotline. Let's take a listen to that. You have reached Dwight K. Schrute, commander of the Lackawanna County Anti-Flashing Task Force and assistant regional manager of Dunder Mifflin. If you have any information leading to the capture and or castration of this pervert, press 1. If this is the flasher, let's talk. You need a friend right now, and I can help you. Just tell me where you want to meet, and I promise to help you with whatever it is that you need. Thank you, and have a nice day. Oh, and if you are inquiring about any of our paper products, or would like a catalog, please press 2. Finally, if anyone, not the flasher, is interested in a kick-ass 1985 Maroon Firebird, I could be persuaded to sell mine. Please press 1 for that, too. Thank you for calling. Man, now how could Dwight be willing to sell his sweet Firebird? I can't believe that. Well, well maybe he needs the money. <laughs> I just, you know, the uh, any information leading to the capture or castration of the pervert. <laughs> and then the very next sentence is, you know, if uh, <laughs> you need a friend right now. Classic Dwight, negotiation tactic, I'm sure. That cunningly laid trap. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Did we get a fax this morning? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
scenes that might not really have been necessary. Yeah, uh, well, one thing we don't know, though, is that some of those episodes, maybe they were written originally with the intent of, of them being a regular-length show that week, mm-hmm. and then NBC decided to supersize it. Right. I don't know what the turnaround is as far as what, you know, when they produce an episode versus when it goes on the air. So, I mean, if they knew specifically they were writing for one hour every week or 40 minutes, whatever, without the commercials, then, you know, maybe maybe they wouldn't seem as padded. Yeah, I just, I, I wonder. And my only, again, my concern is, is writing an hour-long show, is it any different than writing, you know, a 22-minute show? Or would it be basically the equivalent of doing a double season, having to write that many episodes? Now, if it's the, if it's the latter, if if it's the equivalent of them having to write like 50 episodes in one season, I I don't think that they can pull it off. But mm-hmm. if it's just like, okay, we have a basic idea and we'll just have more side characters and more other stuff in there, then, that, you know, maybe I could see it. I I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's ever been an hour-long sitcom since, like, the I Love Lucy hour or something like that. So I have no idea how this would play off. But And even so, I mean, did that start out as a half hour and then get expanded? Yeah, in the later years that oh, happened okay. that way. And same thing with The Honeymooners, actually, too. It, they, it kind of became this hour-long show in its later years, but I don't know otherwise if that's ever been done before, if a show's ever switched formats like that. Now, I guess it does, like I said, it sort of makes sense because all the, uh, you know, as much as I like Scrubs and, and 30 Rock, the shows have done crap in the ratings this year. They're getting killed, and so, you know, like you said, the the other idea that's probably more likely is that switching of the time slots to uh, to have the office at the 8 o'clock uh, Central or 9 o'clock Eastern hour. Mm-hmm. And again, it's still facing this brutal competition. But uh, I guess yeah, you got to think it'd be getting killed in that time slot. But but it's getting killed where it is now. You know, it's it's. I guess for a comedy, it's sort of holding its own. But still, um, I don't know, man. Really brutal competition. We'll just have to wait in uh, about another week and see what uh, what's going to happen. I guess. Um, all right, Jenna Fisher has two movies that are expected to hit theaters soon. The first one's called Quebec follows two assistant grocery store managers that are competing for a promotion. Sean William Scott and John C. Riley, again with John C. Riley, huh? Play the lead yeah. roles. Um, release date sometime in May 2007, but no exact date yet. The other film slated for September is called The Brothers Solomon. It tells the story of two socially inept brothers who try to grant their father's dying wish for a grandchild. Uh, the cast there includes Will Forte, uh, Will Arnett and David Koechner against with Todd Packer there, and uh, good old Gob <laughs> Job <laughs> from uh, Arrested Development. Oscar Nunez was interviewed in Entertainment Weekly this week and wondered how he'll juggle his two acting jobs if his Comedy Central series, Halfway Home, is renewed for a second season. Uh, also in the interview, when asked about The Office's season finale, he would only say that, quote, there will be some movement, major things moving. And he also mentioned that the kid whose bedroom Dwight sticks out in the cocktails episode is Greg Daniels' son. Yeah, that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't watched that show, Halfway Home. Uh, according to what he said in the article, apparently it's gotten good ratings for the network. So I have to say I completely forgot about it. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, two for two for what this is worth. The Office won two Webby Awards uh, this past week. Uh, they won the Best Comedy Short Award for the Accountants' Webisodes and uh, also the People's Voice Award for Best Television Website. So they didn't technically really win, like, the main 
thing for best television website, but the people have spoken, and there's, you know, fanatic office fans out there that they uh, push that through, so congratulations on your webbies, guys. Did fans of The Office kill Wikipedia? According to an article on Wired.com, the vandalism that occurred after the April 5th episode when fans swarmed Wikipedia's negotiation entry, editing in suggestions like withholding sex and throwing sharp objects, was one of several incidents that have caused the site to reassess its open access policy and lock down its most viewed articles. Problems with unreliable content and a dysfunctional community have given an opportunity for rival online encyclopedias such as Citizendium, I hope I get that right, <laughs> to challenge Wikipedia with a less amateur model that bans anonymous contributions. Well, there you go, and people might be laughing at this, I guess, but uh, I thought it was interesting because it's, it's sort of like the last straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, it wasn't like by itself, maybe not a huge deal, but... You know, Wikipedia has been under fire a lot for the fact that, you know, yeah, it can be edited by anyone, which means that uh, <laughs> it can be vandalized and can uh, have all kinds of problems. And Office fans, again, I, I talked about this the other week, like, I, I don't get people, like, why people would go out and do this. It kind of boggles my mind, but apparently somebody, for like a little while anyway, somebody had, like, erased the entire entry and just wrote something like, The Office Rules as the yeah. whole entry for uh, the, you know, negotiation thing. And like, I don't know. People are just, you know, it's, it's like kind of like I said, the straw that broke the camel's back, people getting a little sick of Yeah, and then, you know, there's just inaccuracies on there. Like what, I mean, Sinbad's entry, somebody put that he was dead, which is actually <laughs> funnier than anything he's ever done himself. <laughs> yeah, and then other people, there's like some guy that uh, – complained because he was listed as one of the conspiracy guys in the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> I, I can't remember who it is, but yeah, that was another one. John Siegenthaler of NBC News. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. Definitely, uh, you guys, whoever it was, vandalized the page. You, you ruined shame. it for everyone. I hope you're happy. For shame. All right, well, next uh, next new episode is, man, they're coming fast and furious here, Ian. we got now two left. No break for us, my friend. Next week, May 10th, uh, Beach Games. Uh, and again, Weird Time airing at 8.40, 7.40 Central. So check your DVRs, your VCRs. Uh, Michael is being considered for a position in corporate and has to recommend his replacement. While the group expects a fun outing to Lake Scranton, Michael has planned a day of survivor-like competitions to find his successor. Meanwhile, Pam is not asked to join in any of the activities and is forced to watch Jim and Karen have fun together. Um, from what I've heard from people and based on the promo clip, apparently this is supposed to be the big jam explosion, I guess, where Pam's going to stand up and say what's on her mind. So hmm. I guess we'll see. There's like, like a promo shot, a picture I've seen of like uh, people in the office in one of those inflatable sumo suits pounding into each other. Those are awesome. So, yeah, this is going to be, uh, <laughs> like we said, uh, parties, another party episode, another out of the office episode. So hopefully... It'll live up to our expectations. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. 
well, this first email is from Greg, and Greg says you guys do a great job commenting on the episodes. Um, I do have one comment, though. I guess I don't agree with the comparison with the call for Michael to be fired to the support for Don Imus to be fired for what he said. Uh, Michael was not directly responsible for the watermark on the paper, whereas Don Imus himself actually said the comment. Now, Ian, this is kind of your your uh, theory that you had the last week, and uh, what did you have to yeah, say to that? I, I agree with what Greg said there, uh, but my point I really was that not that the two incidents were comparable, but that both of them, in both of them, the solution in people's eyes was that either Michael or Don Imus should be fired. There was no middle ground there. This email is from Lorena, who says, I listen to your podcast every week as it is wonderfully produced. You are both obviously very intelligent young men, but you take this show way too seriously. It is not Shakespeare. It does not need to be picked apart until the comedy is decimated, and all that is left is silly nicknames given to romances. You said that if you turned off your brain while watching the product recall episode, it was funny. But I think the idea of the episode was to elicit laughter, not to cause someone to write a dissertation on it. Honestly, I had enough of that in college. The only advice I have to you two is to relax and enjoy the show for the reasons you probably began watching it. For laughs! <laughs> Man, I think that's the most emotive I've ever seen you in this, on this show before. Um, yeah, that's a little bit over the top. I don't think Lorena meant it in that kind of <laughs> forceful of a way. But She yeah. put in the exclamation points. I'm just... uh, yeah, three, actually. So I, maybe you're right. Um, you know, we've talked about this before, and I guess it keeps coming up in some of the negative iTunes reviews and some other things. Um, you know, even if Ian and I don't necessarily say that we love an episode, I feel like we have, we're always finding the good in the episode. If, you know, if whatever's good, we'll say is good. If we think something's bad, we'll say it's bad. You know, I, I just keep thinking how we laugh through the whole thing. You know, even if we say it's a bad episode, we still find plenty of things to laugh about. So, I don't know. Maybe it's the curse of being two English majors, Ian. What do you think? Well, I do agree with Lorena on one point. This is not Shakespeare. <laughs> it's better. <laughs> I can understand it. Okay, this is posted by Melanie on our blog page. She says, I had this thought while you were discussing modern society and the fact that in reality, the whole obscene watermark wouldn't just blow over as Pam and indeed everyone else seems to think. You said that Michael for once took the right action and did exactly what he should have done. I just love the irony that when something happens and it is a big deal to everyone else, Michael inevitably does everything wrong, and now finally he's getting it right and no one cares. Poor Michael. No wonder he's so screwed up. And yeah, again, I'm going to just reiterate that, that whole point with that episode last week is that, you know, you can just, every day you look in the newspaper and you see the kind of banal, just ridiculous things that make headlines. Yeah. I just that would have been all over the news, but uh I guess <laughs> it's neither here nor there. This is an email from Brian. I can't believe I have never noticed this before or if it was new for this episode. But did you see the framed document in Michael's office in the beginning of the episode? It looks like a diploma, but it's actually his official owner's certificate from Seiko Timepiece. Who else would frame one of those things and put it up in public? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I Actually, in the back of my mind, I feel like I knew that before, and maybe they brought that up in the DVD commentaries or somewhere, but I, I swear I've heard that somewhere before, but definitely a, a nice insight into Michael's character, I think. All right, and this is posted by our old friend Martin Sang on the blog. Hi, Martin. 
<laughs> he says, uh, the number from the pervert flyer was included on Dwight's business card from the season one, two box set uh, of DVDs that came out. And yeah, that is correct. I remember that now. I just, I did not remember that that was the same number, but, uh, Martin goes on to say, just letting you know that the number has been around for a while. Uh, also I called it a long time ago, about a month back, maybe it had already switched to Dwight's message about the perv before the episode even aired. Huh? Also, uh, 1-800-CALL-TURK is a better number. Ask Ian about that. I'm sure he'll get the reference. Well, Ian, um, I, I just have to say that I actually much prefer Cal-Turk. Uh, he's the best <laughs> insurance man I've ever had. Oh, that's excellent. Did you ever see that episode of Scrub Jack? You're, you're big yeah, on Scrub yeah I, I, that's why I said that, Cal-Turk. I mean, he... he <laughs> It's uh, uh, you got to see it, I guess. But yeah, definitely, okay. that's kind no, of that, weird. One thing that was kind of cool about that, I mean, that actually went to a, it didn't just go to a, well, it did go either to a phone message, but on several occasions, uh, it, it went to a cell phone that you, uh, cast members were actually holding while on set. So you you oh, actually really? had a chance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you timed it right, or if you caught, you know, somebody at the right time, maybe you would be talking to Donald Faison or Bill Lawrence. Or oh, that's pretty cool. Even Zach Braff. Yeah, it was, it was pretty <laughs> I never was able to get through, but I, I'd heard that several people were able to. Oh, man. Yeah, I guess that is better. Well, you got us there, Martin. Um, okay, that's about going to do it for us this week. Uh, join us next week around this time for Episode 23, Beach Games. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at that's what she said dot libsyn dot com. Uh, and that's L-I-B-S-Y-N. And Ian and I have been hanging around in the That's What She Said chat room after the episode every week so far the last couple weeks. We got weeks. a good turnout last week. So if you, uh, if you feel like talking to us right after the episode, if you feel like telling us how, how bad we suck or that we're brilliant or want to know or what we just want to talk about, about Philly cheesesteak sandwiches or exactly. something like that. Um, feel free to stop on in, go to the webpage, uh, look on the sidebar where it says join the twist chat, and uh, you're all good to go. All right, if you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and help spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember to head over to nbc.com backslash The Office during the week for more deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, and more. And, uh, Ian, I think this week I'll give Phallus, I mean Phyllis, the last (laughs) word. Hey, Phyllis. You all right? I think I just got flashed. What? Really? In the parking lot. And when I walked over, he had it out. The guy was just hanging brain. I mean, what's all the fuss? Phyllis, you say? I mean, did he even see Pam? I'm guessing not. Employees of this office are very small and delicate. Deserve protection from local curves. Won't that just shed more light on the penises? You can run, but you cannot hide. Let's see your penis!
If that's flashing, then lock me up. Ah! You're saving every one of us? Awesome!